Well, praise the Lord. I am so honored to be with you for this week. And Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to be in the pulpit. And uh, Brother Matthews has been enjoying knowing him and his family and um, gotten to know his son Bryce pretty well over the years. And it's a real joy to be here tonight. One of those young ladies that we're seeing a moment ago up here is my niece. And the one that was over on this side, where'd you go? Cassie. And Cassie's hoping right now that I won't embarrass her. Amen, Cassie. But uh, she's thinking, Uncle Tommy, don't embarrass me. But I thank God for her and for these other young ladies. And those songs bless my heart. Didn't they bless your heart tonight? Praise the Lord. That is a blessing. And then I need, to, I need to meet Pam Odom. Is it Pam? Pam Odom, right over here. I got an email, I think, with your name in it. And I don't meet a lot of Odoms. So especially spelled the same way, O-D-O-M. So that's interesting to me because my grandfather, Odom, was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. And he had several brothers, so maybe we're related. We'll have to figure, <laughs> figure it out. But anyway... It's a joy to be here tonight. I'm glad to have my, my dear wife with me, and she loves it when I introduce her and have her stand. So, honey, would you go stand over here? And she hates to stand up, but this is my wife, Carolyn, and um, we've been married 23 years, praise the Lord, going on 24 next January, and uh, she is my partner in crime, I mean partner in ministry, and she's a real blessing, and I thank God for her. She really has a heart for our Christian school in a, in a great way. And just a little testimony, I, I thank God for the emphasis of this meeting, back to school revival. And uh, I think it's a great thing to do. We've done meetings like this. And let me ask you this, how many students in this school, in the Christian school are here tonight? Raise your hand, all the students, raise your hand. That's great. Good to see all different ages and, and age groups. That's great to see you. And then how many parents of, of, of the school students, raise your hand, parents, many like that, and I'm sure others, maybe even grandparents and church members, we're glad that you're here. When I uh, became the pastor of our church in Fort Lauderdale area, uh, not too far from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Miami, Florida area, our church did not have a Christian school. And I had come from working with my dad in Naples, Florida for nine years and growing up there in our Christian school, and then helping run the Christian school for nine years and doing a lot of the teaching and administration there. And then God called us over to the Fort Lauderdale area, small church, um, mainly older folks. We had 18 members when they voted us in, and just one little small building. And I found out that they didn't have a Christian school. And I took a deep breath, and I said, Praise the Lord. Amen. Because <laughs> I had just worked through the years, you know, and I thought, well, the Lord's going to give me a break from teaching and administrating and coaching and all those wonderful things. But then we began to see God work, and souls were getting saved, and families reached for Christ. And we began to realize that people needed help with their children, with, with Christian education. And we were homeschooling our children at first. There's really no other Christian schools anywhere near our church. And the closest one we found was 25 miles away. And we had, we had looked into uh, renting a bus or getting a shuttle and taking the kids up there. And it was just so far. Because 25 miles in South Florida takes about an hour with the traffic we have. So we began to pray. And, and uh, people were getting saved. And they were asking us, well, how do you educate your children? And we told them, well, we homeschool, and the public schools around our, our church certainly weren't an option for us. 
And we homeschooled. So they said, okay, what's that mean? And so we started to teach them how to homeschool. And, and some of those families had a hard time with that. Maybe the, a single parent or both parents working and, or they just didn't feel qualified. So we started helping them. And we said, well, uh, why don't you come down here to the church one day a week and we'll train you. We'll train you how to homeschool and we'll show you how we do it. So they started coming down. And then more came down and more came down. And they said, preacher, could we do two days a week? I said, sure, we'll do two days a week. And then we did the training. And then how about three days a week? And we did three days a week. And before long, I looked at Carolyn and I said, I think God's calling us to start a Christian school. So we started pastoring in 2008 there. And in 2011, we started our Christian school. And God has blessed it. Our first, our first year, we had 23 students. And we're going now into our 11th year. And God has blessed it now tenfold, over 200 students this year. The church has grown. The school has grown with the church. And we have seen God bless that effort where the Christian school has reached our community alongside the local church. We've seen souls saved discipleship happening on a daily basis, and we're just rejoicing. God has been so good, and I would, the only, my only regret is I wish I had started a little sooner when I first got there. Uh, we started school last week, a week ago today, and as a matter of fact, we have an open house going on tonight back home, and so there's lots of things going on, but last week we started, and already in the first week, last, last week we had two souls saved, and we praise the Lord for that, and uh, families being touched by the work of God through the church and through a Christian school. So praise God. If you have your Bible with you tonight, I encourage you to open up with me to Mark chapter 5. And I would like all of our young people as well to get your Bibles out and all of us looking into the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God changes lives. God's Word changes lives. We believe that the Lord is at work in this day. We often hear of the good old days and days gone by where God did great things and God did great works. And I thank God for that. I love to hear about, I love to read about Christian history and Baptist history and, and biography. And I praise the Lord for every great work God has done in the past. But I want to tell you something tonight. We need to see God work again. And I believe there's a God in heaven tonight who desires to work. He still has power to save. He has the power to change lives. And he'll touch and change your life if you let him do it. This story before us in Mark chapter 5 is one of my favorite Bible stories. And certainly one of my favorite out of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I want you to follow along with me tonight as we read it. And just imagine, if you can in your mind's eye, what it must have been like. That day, Jesus and his disciples boarded a ship, and they sailed across the, the Sea of Galilee, and they came over to the other side, the east side of that sea, to a region called Decapolis, and a great story took place, and I want you to see what Jesus did. Beginning in verse number one of Mark chapter five, the word of God says, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he, he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. 
And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to see Jesus And see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that an amazing story? I've heard men of God preach from this text. I've heard this, this text entitled... The Maniac and the Messiah. I heard Dr. Johnny Pope preach on this years ago. The title of his sermon was, The Nude Dude in the Rude Mood. (laughs) I'm not going to use his title tonight. But I want to entitle the message tonight, A Miracle in the Graveyard. A Miracle in the Graveyard. Would you pray with me tonight and for the message? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we thank you for this story that you have given us in thy word. A story to remind us of your great power, of your great purpose in this world. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to see truth tonight. And more than just seeing that truth, Lord, help us to make the application in our own heart and life. And Father God, I know that you see every heart from the front to the back, from the young to the old. You know all of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our need tonight. Lord, I pray that as only you can, you'll move through this place and work in a mighty way in hearts. Draw us to the decision that needs to be made. I pray, Lord, if anyone's lost without Christ as their Savior, that they will run to you tonight. They will accept you as their Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided. You are our city of refuge, as we heard sung a moment ago. Those of us who are saved, Lord, we need your help tonight. I know I need your help. I need thee every hour, and we need you this hour. So speak to us. Bless this ministry. Bless this effort tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A miracle in a graveyard. When I was, I mentioned earlier, when I was working with my dad, 
We had a wonderful time working there. My dad pastored the same church for 40 years in Naples, Florida. I graduated from Bible college in 1999 and went there to work with him. And for nine years, we just experienced God's blessings. It was wonderful. A great church, a Christian school, thriving ministry, loving people. And uh, we had our children, our first three children there. David was born there, then Victoria, then Madeline. Our fourth one was born quite a few years later over on the other other coast. But our children, first three were born there. We bought our first home there. We had a happy life. God was working in a great way. But God began to stir my heart, and I knew he was leading me to leave the west coast of Florida and go over to that east coast of Florida. Now, if you're not familiar with Florida... There's the, the west coast, the west side, the Gulf Coast side, I-75 side, is, is much different than the east coast of Florida, the 95 corridor, so to speak. And the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area is much, much different than the Naples, Fort Myers area. If you've ever been down there, you'll know what I mean. Uh, someone once said that the devil lives in Las Vegas. I think he vacations in Miami, all right? So uh, Miami is known as a... Uh, it's a great city in many ways, but it's a wicked city. There's a lot of sin there. The South Beach mentality has worked its way through the communities. There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of different cultures there. But it's a difficult place in many ways, or it has proven to be a difficult place in many ways for churches like ours, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. And I was, I was praying about that, and God was calling us and leading us, and there was an open door. And, and I'll never forget, I was at a preacher's fellowship meeting, and uh, seeking counsel from these preachers and pastors, and, and they knew me well, they knew my dad, and this one older pastor, God bless him, I think he was trying to help me, but I was, I was telling him about what God was doing in my heart, and he says, now Tom, he said, you're thinking about leaving your dad's ministry in Naples, where everything's going so great, and you're thinking about going over to the Miami area? And I said, yes, and he says, why in the world would you want to do that? <laughs> I think he had the gift of encouragement, amen? And I said, well, well, preacher, I said, I, I, because God's calling me to, to do that, you know? And so he says, well, he said, I'll tell you what. He goes, back in the day, Miami, Fort Lauderdale had some great churches. He says, as a matter of fact, years ago, generations ago, he said, uh, South Florida, uh, Miami area, that was the cradle of fundamentalism and fundamental Baptist churches in Florida. He says, but Tom, now it's the graveyard. That's where preachers go to die. That's where churches go to die. And I said, thank you for the encouragement, brother. I appreciate that. And so we went over there. God had led us in a little church, a little group of people. They didn't have uh, much, much building or anything. And, um, but I knew God had called us to go. And we were going to be going to church the next Sunday morning. We had taken our family over there. and They had a house there on property. They kept us in. And uh, I think the furniture was from the 1970s, maybe something like that. And it was a little bit dusty in there, and we, but we were happy. We were thankful we were in there. And the next morning, we were going to be meeting the church, the small group of people. And my dear wife, look how beautiful my wife is. Isn't she beautiful? And my beautiful wife, has, she has an allergy to dust. And so we were in that house, and we got the kids in bed, and I looked over, and her eyes were swollen, and they were swelling up from that dust, and, and I noticed that, and I thought, oh, boy, and so we put the kids to bed, and we got in the living room, and we sat down, and we started praying together, 
We started realizing that God was calling us from a, a comfortable zone, a comfortable place, to an unknown place. A group of people we didn't really know in an area we didn't know. And a lot of the comforts of our life were being taken away. And we were praying and, and uh, she started crying. And then I started crying. And then when I cried, she prayed. And then she'd start crying. And then when she started crying, I'd start praying. And we were just crying and praying and crying and praying. And we were surrendering our lives, you know. And we thought, what in the world is God calling us? Is this, is this a graveyard we're going to? And, and so we got done finally. We got a little bit of control and, Carolyn said, oh, no. She says, my eyes, and they were already swelling because of the dust. Now she's been crying. Now they're like big puffy. She goes, I'm going to look terrible to meet the new people tomorrow. She says, they're going to think, what in the world happened to me? So she went into the, to the kitchen, and she got two wash rags, and she got some ice, and she made two ice packs. And she put those two ice packs on her eyes to try to get the swelling down. And she was holding it there for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden she said, Tom... Tom, help, help me, help me. I said, what's wrong? She said, the ice packs are stuck to my face. Literally, these two wash rags had just seized to her skin. And so we couldn't get them off. I had to get warm water, you know, and try to work it off. Finally, we peeled it off. The skin was broken around her eyes. Now she's got swollen eyes with big scabs around her eyes. I said, great, now they're going to think the new preacher beat his wife up the night before church, you know. Oh, those stories. They're funny now. They weren't funny then. She put a little extra makeup on. Amen, honey? And we made it through. But can I tell you something? When you follow the Lord, you do God's will. You learn it's amazing what God can do in a graveyard. That church, that area that people told me was a graveyard, I've seen God bring life to that graveyard. I found out that God can save people in Naples, Florida, but guess what? His arm is not shortened that it cannot reach Miami, Florida. Souls are being saved there just like they are in other places of the world because the gospel of Jesus Christ has power and it does the work wherever it goes because God can do a miracle even in a graveyard. And so we find in this story a miracle in the graveyard. I, I love stories like this in the Bible because I think God gives us these kinds of stories to remind us of a few things. First of all, it reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I just want to say this. Do you have something in your life that looks impossible? Let me ask you this question. Think about your prayer list tonight. I hope you have a prayer list. If you don't have a prayer list, go home and start one tonight. Think about your prayer list tonight. Do you have anything hard on that prayer list? Difficult? You should. Let me ask you this, though. Do you have anything on your prayer list tonight that is impossible? When I say impossible, I mean in terms of humanity in earthly terms, in human terms. I mean, to look at that in human, human terms, somebody would say, that could never happen. That's an impossible situation. That will never turn around. But with God, all things are possible. Only believe. Our prayer list ought to be full of things that man would call impossible, that God Almighty could break through and do the work. God can do more in five minutes than we can do in a lifetime. Amen, church? Perhaps tonight... There are those here in this room, maybe you feel like you're in a graveyard tonight. Maybe some part of your life's in a graveyard tonight. 
Maybe there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're lost without the Lord. You are in a graveyard for sure. You're, you're living in death. The Bible says that without Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And if you came to this meeting tonight without Christ, if, if you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're living among the tombs, you're dead in trespasses and sins, but I got good news for you. I've got a Savior who can do a miracle in your graveyard. He can save your soul tonight. He can deliver you from your sins. He can take you from the road to hell and put you on the road to heaven. Glory to God. He can do a miracle in your life. If you're not saved, get saved tonight. But you know what? I believe there could be a whole lot of saved people here tonight that have some issues in the graveyard. Oh, tonight there are relationships, hurting, struggling, dying, issues of life. You know, maybe some of us tonight have a loved one in the graveyard. Meaning tonight, just spiritually speaking, meaning tonight that we're burdened for a friend, a family member, maybe a son or a daughter, maybe a mother or a father, they're away from God. Perhaps they're lost without Christ as their Savior tonight. If they were to die, they would not be in heaven. Perhaps we have someone like that. I got thinking about this maniac of Gadara. The Bible talks about the fact that they couldn't chain him. They couldn't, they couldn't control him. And, and I thought, think with me in your mind's eye for a minute. Think with that mu- the process of all of that. I could imagine his mother and father perhaps. We don't have those details, but just, just thinking about it. Maybe his mother and his father trying to help him, trying to control him. Maybe they pled with him to, 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 to not, not be crazy and not to cut himself and, and, and be off like he was. Maybe they tried and tried. Maybe he had some friends that tried to help him. Maybe he had some family, some brothers or some sisters, but everybody had given up on him. He was out there in the tombs now. And tonight, perhaps there's someone you're burdened for. Maybe tonight there's an issue of your life. You feel like it's in a graveyard. Maybe there's a dream in your life, a ministry or a dream that you feel like has not been fulfilled and it's not what it should be and it's not your life's not where it ought to be tonight. I've got good news for you. The Bible uh, tells us that Jesus can do some great things in a graveyard. Not just in this passage, but I thought about John chapter 11. Do you remember John 11 when Lazarus had died? And Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus' uh, sisters, had, had called for Jesus, and he came, and Lazarus had died. He'd been four days dead. And John chapter 11, Jesus walked into that graveyard, didn't he? And what did he do? Lazarus, come forth. And let me tell you what I believe tonight. I believe if he hadn't have said Lazarus, if he had just said, come forth, I believe every dead soul in the ground would have come out of the ground. I believe that's the power Jesus has. But he made it specific. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. By the way, you ever thought about poor Lazarus? I mean, you know, when he died, he went into paradise. He's enjoying it. He, he, look, people that die, and now, and of course, we go to heaven when we die to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But those folks are with the Lord. They don't want to come back to this old sin-sick earth. Poor Lazarus, he had to come back. <laughs> he had to eventually die again. But Jesus did a great miracle in the, in the graveyard with Lazarus. Uh, just a little while later, he would do a great miracle in his own graveyard. Because after he died on the cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on that first and appointed resurrection morning, up from the grave he arose. And miracles have happened in graveyards. Let me remind you of something. There's another great miracle going to happen in some graveyards one day. 
one of these days the trumpet's going to sound and the Lord is going to return and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now you talk about a miracle in a graveyard. Every graveyard in this world that has a saved person buried in it is going to see a miracle. I mean, that's resurrection ground. So look, I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what all your loved ones are facing tonight. But I know this, there's a Savior in heaven named Jesus who can do a miracle. Maybe you came to this meeting tonight needing a miracle. Maybe God sees your life and your heart and you know you need God to break through in some area of your life. This story encourages us. Number one, I want you to notice with me the plight of the maniac the plight of this man, as we examine this story, this maniac, as he's called, we see ourselves, don't we? We see our own brokenness. We see the brokenness of others that we love. In this man, we can see the brokenness of, of the situations of life. Look again, at verse, starting in verse 2, it says, And when he had come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3 says, He had his dwelling among the tombs. It goes on to say that no man could bind him, not even with chains. Verse 4 says, he had often bound with fetters and chains. He broke, he plucked asunder those chains, it says in verse 4. In verse 5, it says, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stone. Boy, when you look at this man, you see, you see death all around him. You see devils all within him. You see division from his family and his loved ones. You see desperation. You see a, a hopeless situation. But I'm glad tonight that with Jesus there is hope. And as long as Jesus is on the throne, there is hope. Oh, Lester Roloff used to say, we don't give up on anybody till they've been dead for four days. Because Lazarus was dead for four days and Jesus brought him back. Oh, listen, tonight we live in a hopeless world. A world lost and without hope. But tonight as God's people, not only do we see the plight of this maniac, of this man, thank God we see the power of the Messiah. Look at the power of Jesus. Oh, don't miss this. I want you to see something about this. The power of Jesus. First of all, we see that he is powerful in his seeking work. Jesus is powerful in his seeking work. Did you know that when you carefully examine this story, that this is, this is not a story of a maniac pursuing a Messiah, a Savior? No, dear friend. This is a story of a Savior pursuing the sinner. Before the maniac ever took one step toward Jesus, Jesus has already taken many steps toward him. Can I show you something in the earlier chapter? Look at Mark chapter 4. Just a little bit before the story, we find here in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, it says, In the same day when the even was come, he, that's Jesus, said unto them, that's the twelve disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. Now, Jesus said, hey boys, come on, it's time to go over the other side. There's something over there I need to go do. Now, when you read the Bible text, you find out that the only thing Jesus did that, at that trip on the other side was, was to save and cleanse this maniac man. You know what I love about that? Jesus was after a sinner. Can I tell you tonight, Jesus is still after sinners. He's pursuing He's working. He is, uh, he is going to us because God knows we can't get to him. 
Oh, uh, the songwriter wrote, the gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord was so vast the crossing I could never ford. From where I was to his domain, it seemed so far. I cried, dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. But he came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. How many of you are glad tonight Jesus came to you? Praise the Lord. Oh, listen, I don't know why Jesus saved me. I don't know why Jesus saved my family, but I'm glad he did. And I praise the Lord I'm saved tonight. We serve a wonderful Savior who's pursuing sinners. He's after sinners. He loves you tonight. He's pursuing you. Um, I got interested just a few years ago uh, in, in how my family got saved. My, I knew my parents' testimony, but I wanted to find out more about my grandparents' testimony before they went to heaven. And one night, many years ago now, uh, my, my, my grandmother, my dad's mother, was still living. And we went out to eat one night, and we were sitting at the dinner table, and I, I started to ask her, I said, Grandma, tell me about your salvation story. I had heard a little bit about it, bits and pieces. I knew that, that they had ridden a bus to church. And uh, now the whole story, I knew the end of the story was that my grandmother got saved there, my dad got saved there, my uncle, my aunt. And then I also knew that my mother's side of the family had also gotten saved in that same church, Bible Baptist Church in Miami, Florida, North Miami, Florida. I knew that my mom and my dad grew up together in that church, high school sweethearts. They had gotten married because they met there and all been saved, and they had three children, my two sisters, and then their, their favorite child, me, their son. Amen. And so I knew that part of the story. I knew that that had all happened at Bible Baptist Church, and, and uh, that was part of the story of how I, I ended up here, and then I ended up getting saved years later. And I said, Grandma, tell me about that. How did you end up going to Bible Baptist Church? In North, Northwest Miami. How did you go there? I said, did a bus worker come by and knock on your door and invite you? Because I had heard dad say they rode a bus, you know. And she thought for a minute. She said, oh, no. She said, Tommy, she said, uh, we didn't ride a church bus to church. She said, we rode a city bus to church the first time we ever rode. And I said, a city bus? And, and my dad didn't even remember that part of the story. And I, and I said, tell me about this. She says, well, she says, you know, your, she says, your, your, your papa was, was at that time not saved. And this was my dad's stepdad. My, my dad's dad had died in a car accident at a young age. And my, my dad's stepdad, my papa, was not saved. He was really a God-hating man at that time. It was a very difficult home. My grandmother said, papa was, was uh, drinking hard and we had a, an awful home. And she said, I decided one day, I've tried everything else. I'm going to try God. She said, I didn't know the Lord. She said, I had gone to Presbyterian church growing up a little bit, but she said, I wasn't saved. And she said, so I got the car keys, and I went out. I got your dad, your, aunt, your uncle, and your aunt. And I said, we're going to church. And they left out. And she said, Papa said, where are you going? And my grandmother said, John, we're going to church. And he says, well, you're not taking my car to church. And he grabbed the keys away from her. And she said, fine, we'll walk down to the bus stop. And so she said, we walked over seven blocks to the bus stop on Northwest 7th Avenue in Miami, Florida. That bus stop is about 10 miles from the church I pastor right now. 
And she says, we went to the bus stop and we waited there. And she said, I knew there was a bunch of churches on Northwest 7th Avenue. That's Church Row. You know, there was churches to the south. There was churches to the north. Several churches. Different types of churches. And she said, I said to the kids, I said, well, we'll just wait here. And whichever bus comes first, we'll take the bus. If the bus heading south comes first, we'll get on that bus and we'll go down. And the first church we see, we'll go to church there. If the northbound bus comes first, we'll take that bus and we'll go to the first church we find going north. And so she's telling this story. Well, I knew that Bible Baptist Church was just a few blocks north of that bus stop. And that's where they ended up going. They got saved. My mom meets my dad. I get born. Everybody get the story, right? And I'm thinking, I'm looking, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Wait a minute. My entire existence on planet Earth was determined upon which bus came first. I said, Grandmother, Grandma, what if, the, what if the southbound bus had come first? She said, well, I guess we would have a missionary alliance. Because that was the first church south. I said, Grandma, we wouldn't be here. She said, I guess you're right. Oh, you might sit here tonight and think, wow, what a coincidence that the northbound bus came first, and they just happened to go to Bible Baptist Church, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. They just happened to hear the gospel. Oh, what a coincidence. No, dear friend, what a Savior, what a Savior. You know what was happening at that bus stop? There was a God in heaven that was after my grandmother. He was after my dad. He was after my family. And by the way, my papa got saved, became a deacon in that church years later. Hey, what a Savior we serve tonight. God was pursuing me before I was ever born. He was pursuing you. So we see his power in his seeking work. But then we see his power in his saving work. Oh, listen, that man got cleansed. You know, verses 16 through 14 are an amazing passage. I won't take time to go through every verse there with you at this time, but I would encourage you to read it. It's an amazing passage about Christ's power and dominion over demons devils it's amazing as a matter of fact when you first read in verse six you you this conversation's taking place and at first thought you might think that it's the maniac speaking to jesus but actually it's not him it's the devils within him that are speaking to jesus and this conversation is taking place and in verse six it mentions there that he ran and worshiped him and the word here means that it, it means to bow down or to acknowledge uh the superiority of and aren't you glad that those devils had to bow down to our jesus aren't you glad for that aren't you glad that those devils by the way look what they said through this man they said uh, in verse 7, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? That was the devil's talking right there. They know that God is more powerful than them. And I want to remind you tonight, church, I want to remind you, Christian school students, and every one of you young people, and all of us, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Tonight, there's a real devil, and he has power. But we have a real God who is almighty. He is the most high God. And he exercises his power over these devils, this legion of, of devils here. And we see his power in the cleansing. But watch this. Not only did he cleanse that maniac, he changed him. Hey, how many of you believe when God saves someone, he changes them? God comes in. That doesn't mean we become perfect. We don't preach sinless perfection. 
But dear friends, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is still in the book. Amen? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when God moves into a life, something's going to change. Notice this was an immediate change. Notice this. Oh, verse 15 says, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. I like that past tense. Don't you like that? He was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. Boy, a lot had changed in a few moments, had it not. Oh, listen, his distinction had changed. His dwelling had changed. He went from uh, dwelling among the tombs to being at the feet of Jesus. Praise the Lord. His dress had changed. His desires had changed. Everything about him had changed. Why? Because of the power of God. God can touch your life. and God can touch your broken situation. God can touch your loved one who's away from God tonight. Or lost. God can touch that marriage. God can touch that child. God can touch that situation with your health or your wealth or whatever it is tonight that you need a miracle in tonight. God can do it. You must believe the Lord for His will. Oh, the power of God tonight. I don't know what area of life you need a miracle, but I know God can do miracles in graveyards. Give your life to Him. Give your situation to Him. Lay that loved one at the feet of Jesus tonight. Maybe you need to lay your own life at the feet of Jesus tonight and say, Lord, look at the mess I've made. <laughs> Bring all those broken pieces to the Lord and let him put those pieces back together. And as the preacher said, he'll take your mess and turn it into a message. He'll take your test and turn it into a testimony. And so tonight we find the plight of the maniac and we find the power of the Messiah. But let me give you this and we'll be done tonight. The purpose of the miracle the purpose of the miracle you know when God works he always works with a purpose God has a bigger picture doesn't he the Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways when the Lord is working and when we're going through a difficult time when we're going through a heartbreaking time don't don't forget God is working something out trust him trust him there's a whole lot of things going on in this story. I need a, I need a volunteer tonight. I need a maniac. <laughs> this guy, is, he's like, ah, I'm your man. You want to be the maniac? Come on up here with me. And we're going to let this young man be a maniac. Everybody's laughing. You must be a maniac. Come on up, buddy. And he's going to be my helper, all right? <clears throat> he's going to represent this maniac of Gadara. Come on up here. What's your name? Thomas, we got two Thomases up here now. We're in trouble. Come on over here, Thomas. So you're going to be the maniac of Gadara. You know, let's just imagine. He kind of looks kind of crazy, right? No, he doesn't. Thank you for volunteering. Let's just imagine we could go back in time. Go back in time, 2,000 years, and we could visit with this man. This man that was broken and hopeless, that Jesus loved and Jesus touched. And we could, we could sit down with him and show him some things that we know from this side of history that Jesus is going to do in his life. He may not understand why he went through what he went through. He may not understand, his family perhaps did not understand. Why is our family going through this? Why, why are we going through this trouble, this, this issue? But you know what, Maniac of Gadara, I want you to know something. You were going through this so Jesus Christ could save you and give glory to the name of the Father. 
Did you know that every time Jesus saves someone, there's glory for the Father? But wait a minute, there's something else. Jesus is going to save you, maniac of Gadara, because over here, there's some friends. There's some friends that need Jesus. And, and, and not only is Jesus going to save you, he's going to send you. Did you notice, stay right there, Thomas. Did you notice in the story, in, in verse number 19, it says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. See that? Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. So, so the maniac over there was saved so that he could be delivered, yes, but it was so that he could go and be a missionary and tell other people about Jesus. Did you know that God has delivered you and delivered me so we can go tell everybody else that he, he can deliver them too? Our, our story must become a testimony. Go tell someone else what God has done for you. There are some friends, there are some family that your life can touch that no one else will ever touch. Did you know there's people in this world that this church may never be able to touch? Or that may never come into this auditorium on their own? But you can go to them. Go and tell thy friends. But wait a minute. There's another group. I need, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. Perfect. All you guys right there. You got it? All 12? Right there. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Come over here. Come over here. Okay, so the maniac of Gadara is over here. You guys come on up and go stand over there, okay, by where I was sitting over there. And uh, we're going to see some purpose that Jesus had in, in, in saving and rescuing this guy. This maniac of Gadara uh, needed to be cleansed for his own sake. He needed to be cleansed so he'd go be a missionary and go home to his friends. Got, go over there, guys. More over there. Over there. Over there. It's a little bit more. Go there. Uh, his friends needed, needed to know that there was a compassionate Savior. He was going to go tell them. But wait a minute. There was something else going on in this story. Now, guess who those guys represent? They represent the 12 disciples. We know them, don't we? Peter, James, and John. All the 12. Is it Judas is over there? The Bible says that Jesus took them on the ship and took them across the sea. And as a matter of fact, they were scared to death in chapter 4. Remember when the storm came? And uh, it says here that they thought he was going to let them die. Jesus was asleep in the ship in chapter 4. And they thought, what in the world is going on? They woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? In verse 38 of chapter 4. And he arose and he rebuked the wind and, and he calmed that. And by the way, he calmed a storm on a sea in chapter 4 and he calmed the storm inside of a man in chapter 5. And Jesus is taking his disciples through a storm in chapter 4. In verse 40 it says, And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? So Jesus said to his disciples, Why, Where's your faith? Why is it shocking to you that I can calm a storm on a sea? And then he brings, them, he brings them off the ship, and they're watching, they're watching, and they're watching Jesus with this maniac of Gadara. He's casting out these devils into swine. They're watching that. They're watching his life change. They're watching him sit at Jesus' feet. They're watching what Jesus says to him. And Jesus is looking at these men, and, he's, and I want the maniac to realize these men right here, believe it or not, God is going to use those men to turn the world upside down in just a few years. And Jesus knew that those men over there, most of them, they were going to face some devils. And they were going to go through some storms. 
And they were going to have some great challenges. And they were going to meet uh, demon-possessed people. And they were going to come across, in the book of Acts, we read a lot of stories. They're going to come across some hopeless cases and some difficult things. And Jesus brought them along so that they would learn that with God, all things are possible. And I want to remind you, when you're going through your graveyard, God is working to build the faith of others. Listen, don't lose faith. Someone's watching you tonight. The way we react and respond in situations of life could affect the lives of others because there's people around you that need to gain faith and strength so that they can see what God has done in your life and in my life and they can go serve God and help turn this world upside down for God. Amen? Let's give these guys a big hand. Thank you for that. The purpose of the miracle. The purpose of the miracle was to save the sinner and to send the missionary, and it was to strengthen the disciples. Can I say this as well? Not only did this story, listen, not only did this story strengthen those disciples. Wait a minute. Jesus was looking down. He was looking down history, future, wasn't he? And guess what? He saw a group of people at Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, on a Monday night, at a back-to-school revival, and he knew that this story, this account, this cleansing, this miracle in a graveyard would help us tonight. It would help build our faith. It would help encourage us. I don't know what you're facing tonight, but God is greater. God is greater. As we were driving here tonight, coming up the highway, I believe it was, I saw a bridge, and it said on it, William Carey University. William Carey University. I assume that was after the missionary. William Carey was a great missionary. He's often called the father of modern missions. If you've not read of him, I would encourage you to look him up and read about him. He's a great man of faith. He had a great impact and influence on another young man named Adoniram Judson. How many of you heard of Adoniram Judson? A great missionary, one of the first missionaries out of the United States. William Carey helped him. Matter of fact, he helped him become a Baptist. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> but Adoniram Judson knew that God had called him to go to the east from the United States. He left much behind. And he was called to go to Burma, now known as Myanmar. And on his way to Burma, he stopped in India and he trained with William Carey. William Carey was a man who saw God do great and mighty things in India. He went through a lot. Oh, I could tell you many stories about William Carey. But William Carey, it is said that William Carey used to, he used to make a statement and different quotes, and those things got in the heart of Adoniram Judson. They helped him. They encouraged his faith because he saw God do it in India. And so Adoniram Judson went to Burma with his dear wife and his family. Many of you know the story. Boy, if there was ever a graveyard mission field, it was Burma. Oh, military oppression awful, uh, many different religions and just cold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, history says that Adoniram Judson preached six years before he saw his first convert. Can you imagine that? Six years. I don't know if I would have lasted six years without one convert. During those six years, he was persecuted. History says that there were times that he was chained and drugged across burning sands until his back bled. His feet were full of blisters. They would imprison him and they would hang him by his wrist and by his ankles where only the small of his back touched the floor and they would torture him. 
because of his faith and his preaching. Ann Judson would come and try to bring him food and, and uh, different writings and things. And it was an awful time. The story goes that the American churches that had sent missionary Judson sent a representative to Burma to try to find him. This is many, many years ago. And he went to find him to get a report so he could bring the report back to the United States, hopefully to encourage the churches, hey, the missionary is doing great. Souls are being saved. Churches are being planted. And he got there. They had been a few years into the work with nothing. Anne told him that Adoniram was in prison, and that representative made his way to that prison. He was able to speak through the bars to Adoniram Judson. Hanging there in chains, suffering, tortured, he began to explain no one's been saved yet in these first few years. No, not one convert, not one thing's happened. And the representative was so discouraged, he said, Brother Judson, what am I gonna what what am I supposed to say? When I go back to the United States, I'm supposed to bring a, a report. What am, what, what, am I gonna, what am I supposed to tell them? And Adoniram Judson looked at that man and he said to him something that he had learned from William Carey. He said, go back and tell them the future is as bright as the promises of God. Woo! That's faith, dear friend. That's faith to believe that miracles can take place in a graveyard. That God can bring life from death. That God can move and break through in a great way. Can I tell you something about that graveyard? Listen, at Adoniram Judson's death, when he was 61, Burma had 63 Baptist churches, 7,000 converts to faith in Christ, and in a recent book called Operation World, in that book, it estimates that Myanmar, which is now the name of Burma, the Baptist Convention in Myanmar has 3,700 churches and an estimated 617,781 members. And almost all of them trace back to the ministry of Adoniram Judson. You know how that happened? God did a miracle in a graveyard. He can do a miracle in your life and my life. He can work in our children's lives. He can work in our marriages. He can work in our lost loved ones. Let's trust him to do it tonight. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for this story in the word of God. It encourages us. Lord, when we see what you did with this maniac of Gadara, it's a reminder for us tonight that there is no hopeless situation when you're in control. We give our lives to thee tonight. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone lost in this meeting, that you would draw them by your spirit, convict them as only you can, show them their need of Christ. I pray they'll be saved tonight. And then, Lord, for those of us who are saved, examine our heart. Lord, may we seek you for a miracle in our life. Lord, break through. We need you tonight. No doubt in a crowd this size, there are some burdened hearts, even broken hearts. Situations of life that are beyond our control. Lord, we would look at those things and say, this is hopeless. What are we going to do? Lord, we don't need to do anything. We need you to do it. We need you to work and move in hearts and lives. Lord, possibly tonight, many here have someone lost or even away from the Lord. They're praying for them tonight.
Perhaps some tonight have a burden in their own life. May we bring the broken pieces to thy feet tonight and trust you to work in a mighty way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Could I ask you tonight, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? There's one way to heaven. It's not through something, it's through someone. Being a good person won't get you there. Going to church won't get you there. Being religious won't get you there. Being from a Christian family won't get you there. But Jesus can get you there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're in this meeting tonight and the God of gods has spoken to your heart and you know if you were to die tonight, you'd not be in heaven. Oh, listen, I want you to come to Jesus tonight. He is calling you. He is drawing you. A call on Him. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You come tonight to this old-fashioned altar. Let us take the Bible and pray with you and show you how you can be saved the Bible way tonight. Don't leave lost. Come to Jesus tonight. And I would assume that most in this room are saved. Most of us know the Lord. But do you need a miracle tonight? Do you need the Lord to break through and something in your life maybe it's that child maybe it's a parent maybe it's a friend how many of you that say pastor Odom, god knows my life god knows the graveyard of my life the hopeless situations i'm dealing with and i believe tonight that god can do a miracle in my life i'm praying for it would you lift your hand with mine all over this house god bless you god bless you god bless you I want to ask you one more question, then we'll have a time of invitation. You're free to come and pray. Tonight, perhaps God has laid someone on your heart, a friend, a family member, a loved one that is not saved. Or perhaps they're saved, or they say they're saved, but they're away from God. And you're burdened for them tonight. You know God needs to do a miracle in their life. You're praying for them. Would you lift your hand if you've got somebody like that in your life? God bless you. Let's stand together prayerfully. This altar is open. I want to invite you to come tonight. Do business with God on this first night of this meeting. Come, pray, find a place, do business with God. If you need someone to pray with you, please wave at us. Raise your hand. Let us know. There's a specific thing we can pray with you about. Let the workers know. Let him have God his way with His power can make you what you are to be. His blood 